Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is becoming a world-class shipper with my friend Robert D. Belfay. How's it going? Hey, Joe. How are you? Robert, say your name one, one more time. You've got a long French name. <laughs> Robert de Belfay. De Belfay. I, I, say it, I say it right every once in a while. Anyway, Robert, it, I'm very excited to talk to you today. Stick around, guys, because we're talking about becoming a world-class shipper all the time from a technologist perspective and from a 3PL perspective, from a broker perspective, but not enough shipper perspective. Robert is going to bring us the shipper perspective, so I'm very excited. Robert, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. Thank you, Joe. So, Robert DeBelfe, I'm calling from Windsor, Ontario, Canada, right across the bridge from you, Joe, in uh, southeast Michigan. And I'm from Jameson Wellness, so we're a Canadian uh, manufacturer and distributor of health and wellness products, a really broad uh, and fantastic portfolio. So, great to chat about this topic. It's uh, on top of mind for, for all of us. That's fantastic. So, it, is Jam- where's Jameson based? We're, we're based in, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Primarily, our manufacturing is, is here in Windsor. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. And I, I, I grew up in Dearborn right about 20 minutes from the bridge. So I, play, I played hockey in Windsor as a kid quite a bit. We didn't have enough ice over here. So we, we had to get ice time over in Windsor. So I made the trip a million times. And then, guys, in case you don't know this, the drinking age is lower in Canada. So um, as a kid... When you're 19 in Michigan, you go to Windsor, and and I'm sure they're thrilled to have us visit for the night. <laughs> yeah, I think we're we're partial to each other, you know. <laughs> anyway, so Robert, tell us a little bit more about your business. What is what is what are you guys shipping? Sure. So we are we're shipping a broad portfolio of health and wellness products. So if you go to your you know local pharmacy, you could think anything from you know, specific purpose, you know, vitamins, minerals, to supplements, to, you know, all the way up to, you know, protein powder and, and really anything to help a consumer augment their health and wellness. So really broad category of products. We sell online. We're online, we're, we're in retail stores, pretty much anywhere in, in, in Canada uh, and globally as well. We are, we definitely are the leader in the, in the Canadian market and we're expanding broadly. We're now in you know, 50 countries. Which is one of the challenges of becoming a world class shipper is, is managing that cross border. So, now I know you you didn't start there until recently. So um, th- this journey is kind of relatively new. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined Jameson. Sure. So I, I grew up uh, just outside of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. So oh, I've been there many times. I love it there. Small city in the, in the East Coast. You know, grew up there. You know, finished high school, all that good stuff moved to this area for for school. So I, I did my education at Carleton University, which is a Canadian university in Ottawa. So I did a degree in supply chain management, which was an evolution for me. I started initially with an interest in the global aspect of business, really generic and, and general perspective. What I quickly found is, is that a, is that as a path to policymaking? And, and that really wasn't of interest to me. It was really how do the goods move? How do the goods go from a manufacturer to distributor to a retail store to your home? And how does that actually execute, which is very different from my you know, original lens at Global Trade. So that led me to finishing my degree in supply chain. And as a, a young professional entering the field, it's fast. There's, there's a lot of different lenses you can take within the world of supply chain. So my perspective was, well, I, I need to learn and I need to understand what, what interests me in this field. How, what's the best place to do that would be in the logistics industry as a service provider. So you see a bit of everything from a vertical perspective. So I got my way into UPS, which was a fantastic organization to, to nice. start with. So, yeah, enormous company, new grad. Were you on the parcel side or were you on the truck side? Parcel. Very nice. Well, I know that a Canadian company, T-Force... 
just bought UPS's LTL division, right? Yeah, the the parcel business is such an important, it's where the money's at. It's such a critical aspect. And, and I get the impression that, that they're going through a refocusing uh, activity, at least from what you can see the outside looking in. Uh, and I certainly experienced that when, uh, when I was with the, the Canadian unit. So I started there, you know, did my, uh, <laughs> got my foot in the door and from a sales perspective, got to help some of our customers in, in the e-commerce realm, how to operate, especially when you're a small shipper, how do you handle holiday surges? How do you handle labor management, you know, specific to, you know, parcel and e-commerce shipping? And as a, as a new company in that space, it's pretty challenging for founders. And I, I, I met with some founders that had a great product. You know, they're growing really quick, really fast, like, like a weed. As you, you came say. at the right, you came at the right time just as e-commerce was starting to hit because obviously that was a, a a pretty important inflection point for UPS and FedEx. And I guess you guys have Purolator over there too, right? Yeah. DHL. Yeah. DHL a little bit. The Canadian market's pretty competitive because everyone fights for the, you know, the density between the, you know, the bigger cities and and unlike the U S we are East and West. So. I think we had this conversation a, a month ago when we talked is the challenge of doing business in Canada is you have so much population in the Toronto area, and I guess we'll say Montreal, that whole East Coast, and then you have that big open space, which has, you know, I mean, very little population, but it's got oil. <laughs> it's, got, it's got cattle. It's great cities. And then you have the West Coast, which is... Uh, the Vancouver area, yeah. British Columbia and Vancouver and all that. And that's where the population... And I'm, I'm thinking 40%, 50% of your population is in... Right there in in Ontario, Montreal, right? Yeah. So the from a, a, a logistics lens, Canada is a is a unique challenge because you're looking at, like I said, east and west. So you need to create density back and forth, which all of the parcel operators are trying to do. They're trying to op- op- optimize that east west you know, line haul right. of sorts, which is very different from sort of the network effect that you have in the U.S. The geography just sort of dictates that east and west. Right. Well, I will say that we do have some challenges. There's uh, certain cities I remember doing less than truckload. And the only way the less than truckload carriers would take it was through partners. And it it got a little dicey sometimes in some of the (laughs) western places. Not the far west, but the the middle west. (laughs) Yeah. So so where'd you go after UPS? So from UPS, I made a personal decision to, to relocate to this area. So that brought me to the produce industry. So I, I worked for uh, an organization that was involved in, in growing and in distribution throughout North America of peppers, cucumbers, tomatoes. So we, we dealt with you know the, the retail space, and, and that industry has its own challenges. You know, perishability is. is difficult for logistics folks and you know the lens there was really about throughput yeah my my friends over at tive told me that the other day that two percent of all produce perishes dies i i I think i think it was all two percent of food and i think a big proportion of produce oh no doubt the yeah the challenge there is is the cold chain or cool chain throughout if you have any break in that network you know, the, the risk of perishability increases exponentially. So as a supply chain professional in that arena, it's all about orienting to get the product to the customer in, in the right condition. And that always means do it quickly. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. So what was after that? After that was the, the cannabis industry, which I think will be of interest to <laughs> the audience in the U.S., which I think this is coming for you guys, but it's- doesn't Canada have quite the stranglehold on weed? I was told. Yeah, we uh, certainly a first mover. So the the or, the industry legalized recreationally in, in late in 2018. I joined early in 2019. Cannabis industry. So what was a small industry, you could say, in in early uh, 2019, very quickly grew to a large industry looking for scale, and then we everyone went through the pandemic which, of course, was a challenge for the retail space and especially a new retail space, which was the cannabis industry. So a lot of retailers are brand new and then boom, you're, you're on lockdown. So that 
reverberation and the you know the retail challenges made it difficult for all of the producers and all of the supply you know in that industry so very quickly we went from growth mode to through maturation into a very competitive cpg space you know in a very short amount of time right so it was really you fantastic know, it's legal it's legal weed is legal or marijuana is legal throughout all of canada right Yep. Yeah, and that's one of the challenges, as you know, we have here is it's legal in certain states, but I think it's still against the law on a federal level. So anybody moving marijuana here, from what I understand, they have to deliver the marijuana in a secured vehicle because they have to pick up cash because you can't use the federal banking system. You can't use, and maybe I haven't talked to anyone about it lately, but you can't use the federal banking system or banks. <laughs> and and I think that also means Venmo and, you know, Zelle and all the other tools. I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to use anything. As soon as somebody sees marijuana, they're uh, like, we're out. So we have a real challenge logistics logistically here with moving marijuana. And it, by the way, it makes no sense that it's not legal at a federal level. It just... I mean, whether you want to use it or not, I don't think it's looked at as as the threat that uh, we once thought it was. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And the from a Canadian perspective, the the challenge that the, the illegality of it, or legality of it, means that you know U.S. airspace is not something we can cross. So we uh, can't use FedEx, we can't use UPS, we can't use any parcel or any freight networks that go in U.S. airspace. So when we talked about you know, export of, of cannabis, it's a direct flight into Europe or other continents, which poses its own challenge and complexity. So needless to say, it was a, it was a cool, cool experience. And it really, you know, led me to where I am now, which is was just Jameson. So my, uh, my current role, manager of global logistics, which in our world is import, domestic transportation and export. So really, it's a, it's a global business and it's it's ever growing, which is the exciting part. We're in 50 countries now and I expect that number to increase. Well, how long ago did you start there? Well, four months ago. So still pretty new. Yeah. So when you got there, you, I know you uh, you were t- tasked with, let's modernize this. Let's upgrade. Let's upgrade our whole shipping function. And what was um, kind of what was your thinking when you and, and the reason I'm asking what you're thinking is is because there's a lot of people listen to my podcast work for third party logistics company or technology companies, brokers. They want to understand what was your thinking when you got there. Like, what do I what what do I need to do to assess my situation to begin this big upgrade? Sure. And and one thing I, I will note is that uh, you know, like all of us, our journey that we're on today is is in progress. It's, it's ever evolving. And the the first lens that I, I looked at would be you know what is our required service level, and what is the the price we're willing to pay for that service level, and knowing that the market around us, be it technology and other things, has changed that cost equation from what it used to be you know the the traditional education that we all got was your you know if you plot it on the x-axis you have service level and on the y-axis right. you have costs, a nice exponential curve as you get to perfect fulfillment you know your cost goes through the roof you know you know like certain pieces of the healthcare healthcare business where cost is an option you're right up there in the right. upper right corner so the the lens that i have is is where do we fit uh, and my peers would look at the same thing. Where do, where do we fit on this cost and service equation? And, and where can the logistics function specifically provide value you know, in and out? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think it's interesting. I, I, I had the opportunity to kind of go through this similar process with a company. They were looking to just do better at logistics and they wanted to assess their current partners and they kept a, you know a number of those but they asked for upgrades and I, what i always thought was fantastic about there's a vice president of and director of logistics who were both new in those roles but they had been in the organization so they knew there was stuff that they were unhappy with and they just said this was kind of the message they sent to everybody including consultants like myself who were helping out is we aren't world class, and to some extent, that's that's a, 
that's on us. We did not expect to be world class. We just that just not that wasn't an area of focus for us. No bad, right? And then they said, we also have not been. Um, we haven't expected that of our partners. We haven't expected it of ourselves. Now we want to make sure all of our partners, and and they get rid of some, got some new ones, but help us become world class, you know, and and. They, I think there's also, whenever you say becoming world-class, you just mentioned the cost versus service. There is a little bit of compromise in there. We don't have unlimited budgets for this kind of thing. You know, if you say we became world-class and cost went up 40%, you might have to, you might have, to have a conversation with the boss. <laughs> An unpopular uh, choice, yeah. Right. <laughs> no doubt. And then the lens that um, that we're looking at is, you know, what is a better than expected experience. And the key word there is the expected experience. Our expectations have evolved both from a professional and personal level. We all talk about Amazon, but really we've all become accustomed to a certain type of service at a certain yes. cost. And the, you know, the B2B world and, and the professional world is, is catching up. And those expectations are passing yes. forward as we're experiencing. And, and I remember when I still worked in automotive, I worked on the Jeep Rubicon. The Rubicon project was still still going on, but I was working on the original Rubicon. And I remember we had we were putting together the product plan. And when you're creating a product plan, you're saying, "Well, the, we have to upgrade the engine because of federal regulations. We have to do this because of federal regulation. This has been a quality problem on the current vehicle. We're going to upgrade on that." So you create this product plan from all these different inputs. And I was in product program management, but we're close with product planning on that. And I remember we had a consultant one time. He came in and said, why will this product delight the customer? And we were saying things like, hey, it'll do this and this. And he said, why is it going to do that? And we said, because the customer has been complaining about that and they want an upgrade. And he said, that's not delight. They they aren't getting it today. And just because you give it to them tomorrow, that isn't delight. Delight is something that they just easily said, they didn't expect, but then they got. And we went through this exercise where we were kind of, and again, it's a great vehicle. We did a great job and they're still doing a great job. But we kind of expected that we were delighting the customer because we were making some upgrades that we all thought were necessary. But we really didn't have the customer lens. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, it's a challenge for all of us. I think we all look at our ourselves and we... We optimize what's in front of us, but it's important to remind ourselves of who our customers are. And for me, that's internal customers and external customers. So we're looking at, you know, how do we bring product into the building at the right time, the right format, make sure it's you know, in the right condition globally, and do it the same way on, in the other direction, getting it to our, our customers in Europe, Asia, you know, Africa, wherever it may be. So all of that comes and boils down to kind of the common points that we all think about, which you know, the visibility, right. ability to be responsive, how consistently we execute, and then for you know within the lens of logistics, how do we do that at the right cost? So all of those blend together, and it's it's one great challenge or great puzzle that we're all trying to right. tackle at the same time. Right, and I know we'll get to it, but increasingly we'll talk about technology in a minute, but increasingly that customer experience is kind of enabled or informed by technology. And you, before we hit record, we were talking about that whole concept of we're all used to consumer grade technology, whatever it is, the Domino's app or whatever you're using, the ease of use. And, and especially people, you, you know, your age, more or less grew up with this technology and it's kind of almost second nature, second nature for people my age, but I grew up when they would say, hey, you have to go to the cost screen. You have to hit control F8, <laughs> right? And then you have to go to the this page for purchasing and you got to get their approval, hit F9 plus control, right? All sorts of clunky, antiquated things that people your age would quickly go, hold up, that that's ridiculous. No, 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 no. So that customer experience, we'll get to the technology in a minute, is increasingly informed by tech. So what was the second thing you looked at? Yeah, sure. So we were looking at, you know, how do we get the, I guess, just to pull this into you know, my team, we have 
this internal and external customer and we need feedback bi-directionally on you know, what do they view as world-class for us. It's not what I think and what I think only. It's looking at all of our partners in our network and, and making sure we're, we're collaborative. So in doing that, you know, we, we know we need to execute. You know, we need to be consistent. We need to do all of these things. We know what our customers on both sides are looking for. All of that takes you know, a lot of time and collaborative effort. And then you, you know, we take all of that in and we're looking and we look at, do we have the right toolbox to you know, perform this from a logistics right. function? So the first and most important point for myself and, and my team is how do we develop and orient our team for the future and what we need to accomplish? So you know, what is the toolbox of the future? The, the toolbox of a logistics professional is, is ever-evolving. So as an example, we're looking at things as, as, as simple and as, as rudimentary as business process mapping only from the lens of you need to know what you do, why you do it, how you do it, so that when, I, then when new technology comes you know, in a you know, fun, new, you know, web-based, nice-looking system, you understand why it's working that way and why you need how you need to act with it and why we're doing what we're doing so that that new kind of digital toolbox is, is very important so we're taking our team through you know, a variety of, of training within the logistics realm and, and outside of it also from a supply chain best practice best practices perspective those the hard and soft skills of a logistics professional are, are critical to executing in, in the long term. So we're, we're taking a lot of time and care in, in that. Yeah, I love that. I love what you just said about the business process mapping because it it sounds so old school, but I would joke technology is just process in a box. And so if you say we bought this technology to make this function happen, it's better to start with, without that technology kind of creating a bias in your mind and say, where are, you know, here's our process map and where the problem's happening, where the inputs, where the outputs. And if you start seeing, wow, this is, this area here is really where all the action is. And maybe you say, we're going to create more process maps, you know, in a, a smaller area. When you do it that way, it's really fresh thinking in my mind. And that's what you need to do before you start putting technology solutions in place. And I think most technologists start off that way too, is if you don't just start creating software, you say, hey, what, what are the problems? What are the inputs? What are the outputs? What are the steps? Yeah, what, what do we need? That's right, exactly. And we, uh, it's, it's very easy. I think we've all, and we talked about this already, but we all you know, get accustomed to finding a need and going to the app store and ta-da, there's your, <laughs> there's your solution. Right. So it's, it's now becoming a, you know, habitual that the solution is easy to find, which is not necessarily the case for us from a, a logistics function. So it's important that I give the team the tools and, and the perspective, critical thinking. Why do we do what we do? And let's talk about process and then talk about the tech and the toolbox that will enable that. Right. And so when we talk about, we didn't get too much detail about this, and I know you can't share too much detail, but... You have you have a lot of suppliers that that ship inbound to your facilities. Mm-hmm. Yep. And are those in in Canada, the U.S., Europe, Asia? Sure. So the the supply base for us, generally speaking, is from the U.S., from China, and then a little bit of you know, other countries globally. And that's ever evolving, of course. But primarily, it's you know ocean and over the road. Right. So when you talk about your people it's not just uh well i know we'll get we'll talk a little bit about your partners here but you have a lot of moving parts no doubt this the 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 moving parts is you know a critical challenge and it's part of that people first approach is giving them the tools to to handle those moving parts globally You you talk about getting something as simple as getting product in your door is really not that simple you know we talk about a, a container you know Team needs to understand what you know transshipment is and why it when it lands at a certain port, what happens next. And there's all this complexity and giving them the toolbox to handle it and understand how to make things happen. And and really the the world that we we live in, I think my own my own view is that 
uh, the volatility that we see in our global supply chains is the norm. Uh, it, oh, yeah. Things aren't as straightforward and smooth. And, you know, we can look at something like origin destination time in transit, you know, in a certain lane. And that variability is so wide in terms of the actual arrival time. So that alone, the team needs to understand how to deal with that sort of uh, environment. Yep. And I think, I think you mentioned this volatility that we saw. It, it's not going away. Obviously, the problems in Europe with Ukraine and Russia, we, we're seeing some challenges with China right now. We'll, we'll get into the global trade, but I think global trade compliance is a big, we'll talk about that in a minute. But for companies like yours that has cross borders every single day, that becomes its own monster. But what I think about also is when you think about logistics, a lot of times this has been a business of clerk work where almost everybody starts off, you start off doing clerk work. You don't really have the big picture of what we're doing. All you say is this comes in, I, I log it into the system, I scan it into the system, and you have no real sense for what you do in the big, what the organization does. All you say is, I don't know, I do this every day, all day, and I'm always busy. And it's a reactive mode. It's not a proactive mode. It's not, I'm part of the supply chain. Nope, I scan stuff. <laughs> and so when you're trying to upgrade the skill sets and upgrade the, the view of people, that's that's not easy. No, it's not easy, and it's uh, it's ever evolving in terms of you know how broad is our network, how broadly do our, our people have to think, you know, and ultimately we have to execute as a as a logistics team. So there's a, there's a really tough balance between you know, taking a step back and, and making sure you see the whole picture, and also executing uh, from a day to day perspective. So we're going to talk about four areas of the, this becoming a world-class shipper. The first one you talk about is the customer experience, which has to be better than expected. Second, we've talked about people. What is the third thing you, that you were looking at? The third topic is uh, you know, top of mind for, for me and, and for many of my peers, I'm sure, is the creation of our digital ecosystem. I, I think it's important that your audience considers that shippers are looking at tech, at least from my perspective, very similar to how we experience tech as a consumer. And we, we talked about that, that cons- what we deal with as a consumer, it bleeds into our professional life. So when you have- it's our, it's our new expectation. We have our iPhone, we have our tablet, it all syncs together, maybe pings to your watch if you have one. And that connectivity is, is critical to our, our future and our success from a logistics function. So what that means for, for me in my world, as we look at, you know, our ERP system, which is everyone really has talked about ERP <laughs> ad nauseum. Right. The TMS system, the connectivity there to the global trade and compliance. Are we using the right set of documents per country, per product, you know, all that sort of thing? Do we have the visibility of all of our in, outs, you know, the, all of the movement in our network globally? And then ultimately the, the demand and the supply of our of our network and the ebbs and flows of what's moving all of that has to talk so so we're looking at creating that ecosystem where you know, we have you know, a demand from a customer you know it means we need to buy material we need to move the material into our into our network you know produce the product and then get it back to the end consumer and we need all of those systems to to talk to each other to make that happen yeah and so you mentioned the ERP systems obviously that that's the the backbone of a lot of businesses. Then we talked about transportation management system. I know you were looking at that to say, hey, I, I need I need to get one of these, right? Then you also talked about global trade compliance. And that's come up on my podcast a few times lately. So a lot of companies are saying, a lot of countries are saying, and I'm assuming Canada's the same, is saying, I don't want you to buy certain products, certain things from certain countries. So Right now, you might say, I don't want you to buy anything from Russia. And I don't know that you guys do anyway, but or or these organizations and the onus is oftentimes on the company. So you say, I have to do the right thing. I have to make sure I don't buy from a, a company owned by Vladimir Putin right now. Right. And <laughs> but then there's also the slave labor in parts of China that that some 
that I know in the U.S. they're saying you can't buy from these regions, and again, the onus is on you. So that's a trade compliance problem that all of a sudden just reared its ugly head. And you think, well, if you think about where the world is going, I'm sure you guys are very concerned about sustainability. So at some point, that is going to enter into who are we buying from and who are they buying from, right? And so the last thing, uh, you know, a company like yours, like yours wants to ever get is a bad reputation because something in the supply chain was bought that shouldn't have been bought. And again, these could be relationships that are two or three <laughs> steps away from you. So global trade compliance is huge and super difficult. Super difficult, and it's it's the exact same lens that that we talked about. It's the the volatility, the volatility in, in the market, in the political arena. You know, all of that comes back to the the organization to manage. So the the demands on on shippers today are, are really to you know, think about how we can you know look at tools to help us manage the noise and really get to what we need to know and not be bogged down by the entirety of what's happening globally. There's, there's a ton of information out there. There's a lot of noise. And really, we're looking for tools that help us focus our attention on what we need to. So, for example, you might produce a product. You know, For us, we produce in Canada, and we might export to a certain country. And if we change to ship to a third country, there might be a specific requirement for that lane. A label that you didn't put on, right? <laughs> Could be anything, yeah. So it's important for us to be able to quickly assess and react based on the most up-to-date information, which, again, is global in nature, it's political in nature. It's very difficult as an organization to know it all. So you're looking for tools to you know, augment your supply chain and, for me, my logistics team, to be able to keep up with it all. Right. And I, I know um, visibility is an important part of that. How does that impact you and your biz? Yeah, paramount. The, the visibility, I think that has really come to light throughout the pandemic. I think that has really become a sore spot for a lot of supply chain and logistics folks where you, know, you needed visibility because the volatility and that, you know, I, I talked about that lead time variability. You need the the visibility of you know the current state you know where something is in in your network and also we're looking at partners that can help to help us with you know predictive analytics on you know yes. might be you know here halfway through the pacific but there's port congestion the rail network has some congestion and therefore your delivery date is actually here and that type of insight is, is really what we're looking for. Uh, and that's going to help us bi-directionally. So it's, you know, a lot of the context is, and everyone's talked about Long Beach, but it's not only Long Beach, it's it's really every port. Right. Well, what ports would you guys get stuff in? Is it Long Beach or are you guys uh, getting stuff from north of there? <laughs> <laughs> for, for us, it's mostly Vancouver, Canada, a little bit of Montreal as well. And we do have a, a subsidiary, Joe, in uh, Irvine, California. So, of course, you know, in, in the, the neighborhood of Long Beach. So, you know, we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about Long Beach as well. But like I said, the, the majority of us or our unit or business unit would be Vancouver. Now, was there port congestion in, in Vancouver during the pandemic and in Montreal? Absolutely, yeah. Similar story, I guess, to, to Long Beach with not as severe of a, of a consequence. It's, it's really just a, a, a scale difference of, of what Vancouver is versus Long Beach. What's proved to be very difficult in the Canadian network, we're all still to this day you know, dealing with this, is the pandemic forced a lot of organizations to buy in a, in a relatively erratic fashion. Right. When that inventory finally came across the water and got to North America everyone's full you know the the inventory at your warehouse overflows as a result you're going to try as a organization you're going to try to slow down your inbound material where you can and therefore the the rail networks and the supply chain at large you know yeah all that congestion so you know all of that 
is is dynamic in nature, and that all ties back to the, the visibility tool. There are tools, I should say, that that we're looking at is how do you understand everything happening or happening around you, knowing that you know I can't expect anyone on, on my team or, or teams around me to keep up with you know every changing dynamic in the every mode. It's 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 difficult, and when when you're a shipper of you know our size, you know we're not by most standards, you know, or I should say, but the TMS vendors like to call us mid-market. It seems to be the term. You know, we don't have an enormous team to manage all of this volatility. So the, the tools really augment the team and give us that scalability that, that we're looking for. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you mentioned the inventory challenge. I think when you think you can't get inventory easily, you might over-order, right? And you say, hey, the last thing I want to do is be short. And then you know, and I think we don't talk a lot enough about inventory when it, when we talk about logistics, but it, it's the tendency for it, inventory is it's, and we'll talk about this, maybe your demand tool in a minute, but we have this, we're guessing at what our sales are going to be, right? So we're never going to be dead on. We're going to be a little more or a little less. And so there's the nature of it is to have too much inventory. And my friends over at Throughput, the tool, they said that they believe 30% of inventories never used. So it's it's brought and it goes obsolete before it, it even gets used. And that, that could be wasted food or something. I think it's probably very prevalent to have work in process stuff where you said, hey, we brought all these tools for these components for a product that is now discontinued. Make that stuff obsolete. Getting a handle on that inventory is something we're still not even close to. I mean, I think the very best organizations are pretty good at it. I would say the people, companies like Walmart probably who have 30, 40 years of consistent sales, they say, we know. And by the way, if you pay attention to Walmart, they always have always low prices. I believe that always low prices is they don't want sales because they don't want to see spikes in sales. They say, yeah, we sold a lot more because we discounted at 15%. Well, how does that help me plan next year's inventory? Well, it doesn't. And that uh, that thirty percent number is is enormous, and I can only imagine the the pandemic and the made it worse. availability of supply globally made that number even worse. I'm sure of it. But we we all deal with it. Every every shipper, every manufacturer of of every size, you know, struggles with with this sort of visibility and the ability to plan. So we talked briefly about uh, demand and supply planning and how. From a logistics lens, you know, we can support that with visibility. So when we talked about, you know, that delayed container that might have a you know handful of, of products on it that are needed for a handful of manufactured goods in you know the MRP. And logistics can assist there by you know, giving that information as early as possible so that the plans aren't so reactive. And then throughout the pandemic, we were all reactive. We all know that. But now we want to get away from that. We want to get back to the, the proactive supply chain. And that's where the logistics is, is the value add. And I think and I think the predictive analytics at some point, if you can say, hey, we, we have we have this from order to cash, good data, that'll start to help us make better decisions. And by the way, here in North America, we don't, well, there's not a lot of people starving to death, but there are people who are in want at different places. And the idea that you're making products that are wellness products and health products, what we absolutely positively can't have is stuff that you say, oh, this went to waste. It's just, it's especially when you say at this, the company doesn't want to be able to do that. You say, and, and by the way, I've heard companies say this about perishable food. Is there right. a way for us to know sooner that this is going that we only needed eighteen hundred units and we have twenty eight hundred units? Can we donate that to a food bank rather than letting it go bad next week? We need to know that. Of course, you don't want your shelves to be empty one day because you you were gave it all to a food bank, but we need to know sooner as we can make take action. So. We've talked about a few things. And again, I'm talking to Robert DeBelfe, and we're talking about becoming a world-class shipper. So we talked about customer experience. We talked about people. We talked about the digital ecosystem. Last one we wanted to talk about was partners. So what are you doing in terms of partners? Yes. Very important topic for, for you, Joe. And I know this has been mentioned on a few episodes, you know, 
yeah, we always talk about show, it. So I, I can say that uh, there really, when we look at partners in, in the realm of logistics, we're looking for, you know, mutually beneficial value. You know, I'm bringing something to you, you're bringing something to me. We're looking for partners that are going to help us augment that dig- digital ecosystem in our technology. And ultimately that helps us rapidly expand when needed and rapidly contract if, if needed based on that volatility we've talked about. So when we look at partners and relationships, it's, it's very important that, you know, obviously you need to know our business, you understand, you know, why we do what we do. And you need to be on a similar journey that, that we are. You need to be looking at what is our digital ecosystem? How can we help our customers with their digital ecosystem? And you know, we talked about connective tissue. You know, that is paramount and that every shipper and manufacturer, distributor, we're, we're looking for that ability to be responsive to the demands of our, our customer and all of that you know, technology behind the scenes is going to enable that. So we're really looking for you know, partners that can help us there and help expedite the process. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I think sometimes we don't even look at our logistics partners as partners and, and we, we deal with them day to day and we don't have any strategic discussions. And, you know, I know a lot of companies would say we do quarterly business reviews, but I've always been surprised at how many companies, shippers say, uh, no, we're busy. We don't want to do the QBR or even the, the, 3PL or the carrier or whoever saying, oh, no, we're, we're busy too. We get it. And we just assume everything's going well, but it doesn't help you get better. That It doesn't help you get better when you don't have those, those meetings that are really all about, can we review what we did the last quarter and talk about how we're going to do it better next quarter? If you don't have those meetings, you shouldn't expect to get better. And again, I can say this. I was at a 3PL and we had many customers who held us at arm's length. And at some point, those relationships go away. They hold you at arm's length. And at some point, something goes wrong and they go, oh, those guys aren't, you know, they're not our kind of guys, right? We're done. Or you're not improving. Everybody else is improving, but you're not because, uh, and then one day they go, the new boss gets there and says, when was the last time you talked to these guys? (laughs) When they sold us. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, and I think it's important you know, from a, a, whether it's a carrier, you know, 3PL, I think it's important to ask the right questions to, to customers and to, you know, the shippers of the world, you know, what are they working on? You know, what gaps in your, your network do you see? And, and really when we talk about gap in a network, traditionally we would talk about that from an operating lens or an ops lens, but really it's a technology lens now, you know, how can I support you in, you know, your supply chain, you know, in a greater or broader sense, you know, how can I improve your visibility? How can I give you, you know, live uh, information so that your customer service team can support your customers? You know, there's, there's many, you know, varieties and, and lenses that, uh, you know, 3PLs and carriers can, can do. And it's, it's really paramount for, for us as shippers today to have partners that, you know, help and propel us you know, forward as, as we can. And um, I mentioned, I think maybe before we hit record or maybe during this conversation is that I, I helped an organization select a 3PL and their director and their vice president said this throughout the selection is we want you to help us become world-class. We're not world-class and that we have not done all the things we need to do. So please, Tell us when we're doing something that doesn't make sense. And please help us on that journey. If you want to maybe overuse word, but it is a journey to become world class. Help us help us in our continuous improvement. And you need a good relationship because no one wants to come in and tell the, the customer, hey, you guys are way off on this. But if you can build that relationship where you say, guys, what are we doing wrong? If there's what what one thing are we doing that costs us money? And by the way, I can tell you, I experienced this myself. I was helping, this is another company, helping a, a, a European company that had a 3PL here that they were supporting the U.S. sales with. And they said, oh, we hate this one charge they hit us with every month. And I was like, okay. And then when I went and visited the 3PL, they're like, oh, I hate that they make us do this. And I said, oh, yeah, well, they don't like that extra cost. And they said, 
it was basically the, a big box that didn't fit on their shelf, so they had to break it down and make it into two boxes. And I said, why are they? Why is that? And they go, they say it's because of shipping, but no one else does it. Then I asked the company in Europe, why are you doing that? And they said, I think it's for shipping, but I go, no one else does that. It was an enormous savings per year that just because both of them didn't communicate what, and both both of them hated it. One hated paying the extra fee. The other hated that they had to break down boxes once they came to their warehouse. A simple conversation. And guess what? They weren't doing QBRs because they're in Europe and we're here in the United States. It's not easy. There's a time zone difference. That was the cost of air 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 travel would have been easily covered by the savings on that. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The need for us to to communicate on a routine basis uh, has been highlighted, you know, throughout the pandemic. You know, even if you do something digitally, it's better than just nothing. a Zoom calls work. <laughs> and uh, you know, really, I think what you what you get to is you get that that relationships you can level set and sort of the base expectations and. What, what you end up with is everyone feels comfortable to share what they need to. And we all don't know what we don't know. And that's always the lens that I infer on my team and you know, our partners is you know, educate us, help us, let us, let us grow because we want to scale. And, and like I said, we don't know what we don't know. So it's, it's important for that mutually beneficial. And I mentioned that mutually beneficial value and that, really is where the relationships grow and, and flourish. Excellent. Excellent. So Robert, I'm going to summarize this and then I'm going to get your final thoughts. So talking to Robert DeBelfe, he's trying to get his organization, Jameson, uh, to become a world-class shipper. And so we talked about four areas that you kind of looked at when you got there, which is first off, you wanted a better than expected customer experience, not only for the internal customers, but also for external customers. And secondly, we talked about people wanting to get, you know, help everybody kind of get that big picture, get everyone on the same page to say, here's our goals as uh, to become a world-class company. Here's what I need to do. Here's the skills I need to acquire. Here's the, here's the things we need to work on. Next, we talked about digital ecosystem and that's all the systems that's way beyond just TMS. It's the ERP, it's visibility, global trade, supply and demand tools, I, get th- I think a lot of us think in terms of our transportation management system is the end all be all, but it's just the beginning for a guy like you. You have lots of tools that you have to integrate. And then last but not least, we talked about the partners. You guys have lots of partners to support your global operation and they all have to be kind of on the same page. And you're really looking at them for two things. Help me upgrade my tech and help me become that world-class shipper. Give me that insight that I need Tell me what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> and that requires a relationship. I can't just call up randomly and go, hey, Robert, I just thought I'd call and tell you where you're dropping the ball. You're like, uh, who's this again? <laughs> Who did you used to do work for? <laughs> anyway, Robert, final thoughts on this topic. Yeah, it's just short. And thanks again for, for having me on. The, you know, when I, when I look at this holistically, I think it's a really exciting time for the industry at large in the logistics space, the supply chain space, the pandemic has forced all of us to look in the mirror and you might, you might like, you might not like what you see, but it's really forced everyone to look under the hood, so to speak, and really understand, you know, where are your gaps from an operations perspective within your network, your technology to support that. And that reflective time now that, you know, thankfully you know, pandemic challenges are still present, but you know, much different than what we experienced last year and the year before. Now it's time to build those capabilities that were, you know, glaringly in need, you know, throughout right. that time. So it's uh, it's exciting time for all of us. And I think we're all on a similar journey and it's all about pulling your partners in. You bring everybody into the fold. When I say partner, I mean you, your logistics partners, your, your customers, your internal customers, suppliers. suppliers yeah. You've got to get everyone in on the same page and all work towards the same mutually beneficial goal. And really, you know, rely on your partners. You're not going to do it yourself. So from a, a partner perspective, you know, be that partner that your shipper needs because they might not ask for it, but they need it. So you know, put yourself in that position. 
Right. And you said that we we learned some lessons during the pandemic. And it really, it, it's incumbent upon all of us to upgrade because we saw this global supply chain disruptions just kind of go, for, it was like whack-a-mole. I mean, and, and what you realize is all it takes is that, you know, we talk about the supply chain. All it takes is one chain to link to break and all hell breaks loose. And we're not done with this. Again, we have challenges in Europe. We have challenges in Asia. We're, I know we're going to have some food shortages because of the, the war in Europe. We got to just get much better at all this. And God, I, I think in a lot of ways, we were scared straight. I think companies are now, I've heard this, I've seen this in the Wall Street Journal, where the C-suite is now being asked, how good is our supply chain? How good are our partners? How, how robust are we? Are we resilient? And I think uh, we found ourselves to be a little brittle. <laughs> so it is time to upgrade. <laughs> no, no, that's absolutely it. And we, uh, I think we all, all of us supply chain have been forced to change our perspective a little bit. You know, historically speaking or traditionally speaking, supply chain you know, was a cost. And now it's a very different perspective. All, all of us are looking to enable our organization to succeed and within the logistics realm specifically it's all about you know moving goods when we say we're going to and then having that visibility for our team but also providing that to you know, our customers both internal and ex- external to help everyone execute excellent excellent so robert let's wrap this bad boy up so one more time what's the name of your company and how can we reach out to you guys Sure. So we are Jameson Wellness. We are traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker JWEL. So we can you know, find us through all of the the IR and, and media and, and all of that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I can certainly be reached out, uh, reached via LinkedIn. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll put a, a link to your LinkedIn profile. If you give me a link to your website, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's not, not exactly the... the, uh, <laughs> the uh, the best venue to sell your wellness products, but hey, every every sale helps. So, what right. what conferences do you attend, Robert? Well, we are we're present in in our in our space within the the health and wellness space. Any logistics conferences? Who we determine, Joe? I guess you know, we can uh, we can connect, and I can certainly make sure I'm, I'm found. And uh, thanks again for for having me on. It's uh, it's been a I really appreciate having you on my podcast because again, I said it before. It's good to hear the shipper perspective. We don't always get the shipper perspective, and after a while, it's almost like you're uh, drinking your own bath water. You need to you need to hear from out from a guy who lives it day to day on the other side. Not hey, let me give you my technology, and your life will be uh, life will be perfect. There's a lot more concerns that Robert has. Anyway, thank you so much, Robert. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.